Today's scripture reading is coming out of the prophetic book of Jeremiah. We are going to take several weeks in this uh, book together as we continue to march through our Bible reading plan for this year. And of course, we have a Old Testament, a New Testament, a Psalm or Proverb reading each day, but we have been focusing primarily in the Old Testament. So I want to Draw your attention to Jeremiah chapter 18. We're going to read the first, I think we're just going to stop after verse 6 this morning. But turn with me over to Jeremiah chapter 18, starting in verse 1. The prophet of Jeremiah wrote this. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as he seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hands of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. Is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. As you are, we do have Kingdom Kids today, so we'll invite those kiddos who are participating in Kingdom Kids to join our Kingdom Kids workers over here. That's those who are four years old through second grade, and they can be picked up after the service from our Christian Life Center building, which is the metal building offset right by your sanctuary over here. And they'll be in the upstairs classroom, so make sure you pick them up after we're done here today. A couple quick announcements. Uh, one... Not that I wear a tie much, but as you can see, a little little dressed up today because we have our Gamble Baptist Association's annual meeting, and I have the privilege of being the moderator for our association, so I've got to get up there and lead us through the different parts of the meeting. Uh, it's not only a meeting, it's a meal and a time of worship, and so if you're interested in going to that, um, please join me in the parking lot at about 2.45 or so maybe 2.30. I've got a a play practice before that, but somewhere in there, just let me know you want to come and I will wait for you. And we're taking a little caravan over that way. You can ride in the church van with us. Um, Feel free to send me a text. Let me know you're coming. My cell phone number's on the back of the bullets and you'll find it there. Second thing real quick is I've been mentioning our men's conference that we have coming up that we're really excited about. I've got a few flyers down here. After the service, feel free to come pick one up. Looks like this. This is going to be November the 11th and 12th at Camp Zephyr, which is not that far. It's on the other side of Lake Corpus Christi near Mathis. And um, the schedule and more information is on the back of this flyer. But one thing I want to point out and make sure you're aware of, next Sunday is our registration deadline. So if you want to participate, we need to know you're coming next Sunday. And uh, the cost is a little pricey for what we're doing. We are not, this is something that came to my mind, Just I think I was just thinking it this morning. We're not staying in bunk beds, okay? We're going to stay in like a hotel-style kind of space at Camp Zephyr. So any of you guys that were concerned about trying to sleep on one of those mattresses from camp, it's not the same situation. You get like your own. In fact, if you're willing to put out a few more dollars, you can have a whole like hotel-ish type room to yourself. Or if you want to share, you can uh, partner up with a buddy of yours. Y'all come together, share a room. You can split the cost a little bit that way. Uh, so that's some information on that. Really looking forward to it. It's going to be a great experience together. And so make sure you pick up a flyer, get the information, and, uh, and make plans to join us on November 11th and 12th. Okay. <clears throat> now, with all that said, 
today we are covering one of the more well-known portions of Jeremiah. And you may be thinking, now wait a second, I'm following the reading plan. We have not read this yet. And I would say, I understand, but there's only so much we can cover in Jeremiah. So I've skipped ahead a little bit to get to this story so that we can cover another portion of reading next Sunday. So I do acknowledge that. But what is taking place here is Jeremiah is a priest turned prophet in the life of Israel. And you know, God's people that he called to be his very own possession, he called them into the promised land. And a big part of their story was that they would stand out among the nations so that the nations would look at Israel and know who God is. And Israel's great sin is that they did not become distinct so that the world would see them and know who God is. They began to look like the rest of the world. And so they could not see Israel and see any difference between them and the world around them. And God gives them warning after warning after warning. Eventually their sin in part creates a division between the northern part of Israel and the southern part. The northern part continues to be known as Israel. The southern part becomes known as Judah because that was the dominant tribe in that portion of the land. And the northern part was so sinful. They had zero bad kings. Or they had zero good kings. And they were so sinful that God allowed them to be overtaken by the Assyrians. And now, the folks are in the southern kingdom. They had a few good kings, but most of their kings were not good kings. And because of their sinfulness, God is going to judge them the same. And we read about that prophetic word from Isaiah that one day the the great power... uh, Babylon is going to come to southern uh, Israel, known as Judah, and is going to decimate the place, destroy the city, destroy the temple. And God is going to judge his people. He's going to judge them that they might come back around, and he's even promising in the midst of that, there will be a remnant. There will be those who return. I have not totally given up on my plan to show the world who I am through Israel, but it's not going to be all of you. All of you aren't coming on this journey because of their Sinfulness. What Isaiah prophesied, Jeremiah lived. Okay, What Isaiah saw coming down the road, Jeremiah experienced personally. He was there when the Babylonians entered Jerusalem and destroyed the city walls and, and destroyed the temple. He was taken to exile. Not to Babylon like many of them, but some of them escaped to Egypt and he was forced to go with them. So Jeremiah has been given the difficult task of telling his people, look, this is coming. Unless there's some major repentance on our end of the deal, God is bringing judgment. And there are prophets and priests and those in the leadership that would say, no, no, that's not going to happen. Everything's going to be fine. Don't listen to him. And then when they saw the writing on the wall, they said, well, we're not going to be there that long. Maybe a few years in exile. And Jeremiah says, ah, it's going to be more like 70 years in exile. So Jeremiah was was not a popular prophet. And God told him from the beginning, not only will people not hear you, they'll try to kill you. Not only people that don't like you, but those who say they do. Your very friends and family are going to turn against you because I've given you this word, this hard word to share with your people. So that sets up this almost like a, a living experience that is a parable when Jeremiah is called to enter into the potter's house. So I just want to pause there for a moment and invite you to... Pray with me as we take a look at Jeremiah chapter 18. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word that you don't pull any punches. You let us know not only what 
people were like then and how you dealt with them. But you let us know through this story that we're not all that different. But God, there is hope. With you, there is hope. And so we thank you, God, that their warning is our warning too. And their chance for change is our chance for change. And God, that you might speak through this this scripture that we've read today and speak into our lives. So, Father, we pray for open minds to receive your word. We pray for soft hearts to take it in. We pray for steady hands to take what you've shown us and live it out in our everyday life. This is what we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, my kids worked on a project this week for school. And it was creating out of pottery clay a little, a little uh, trinket of some sort uh, for class. And this was Zeke's project, right? And then the other kids helped along with this. And they, we just so happened to have this old pottery wheel thing. Uh, they, our grandparents, Marsha's uh, folks, uh, their grandparents, gave the kids this a long time ago. And I think probably wisely we hid this for years so that they wouldn't know where it is. And then this project came up, and luckily we had it. And so they got the clay out, and they, and they had to, you got to add a lot of water to the clay. But wh- one thing they didn't do was use the wheel, because they didn't need the wheel. The wheel, it spins. Oh, the batteries are dead. It should spin. This little part here, the aqua blue color. You impressed that I knew that? Aqua blue? Come on. The aqua blue color spins. You put the clay right here, it spins. And then you shape and form it. And then there's some... Clay is still in a package here. And you take this clay out, and you got to add water to it. And it was a bit messy, but I thought to myself, at least they're not having to make like a bowl or a cup or something, because that would have been like way, way messier, right? And could you just imagine, you know, putting all that wet clay on a wheel and then flipping a switch and having the wheel spin, and children are in charge of that? You know, so, I mean, it could have been really messy. It was messy enough as it was. But this kind of, I've never done anything like pottery. Has anybody ever done anything pottery-wise? You ever done some shape? Okay, nice. All right, good. Right on. So I'm guessing it's hard. Is it hard? It's a little tricky to get that to, to shape just right, to do it just perfectly, to, to get all, all of it shaped just the way you want it, just the way you envision it. You've got to have some skill, some patience, some vision to get that piece of clay to look like something that you want it to look like and to be usable, right? Well, this would have been, you know, something that in Jeremiah's day was not all that uncommon. Seems it's a little uncommon for us, but they had a potter's house. They had a place they could go and they could get, you know, a bowl or a cup or a vase of some kind, some kind of pot that was handmade. And what they had were... Uh, two stones, and one stone would have, you know, like a, a raised portion, and the other stone would have a portion carved out so they fit together. And what they would do is they would put oil in between the two stones, and you would spin the stone with your foot, and then when you stopped, it would keep spinning. And that's how they would shape and form it up the, the wheel that was made of stone. And we read in here that Jeremiah has this living parable experience When God calls him to the potter's house, it's in the potter's house that God gives him a message that God wants him to bring to the people of Judah. And so we read in verse 3 that he sits down, he he goes down to the potter's house, he's, he's seeing the potter work the wheel, 
shaping it. But the pot he was shaping from the clay, the scriptures say, were marred. Now that that word for marred there is used elsewhere to mean ruined. It wasn't just a slight flaw in the clay. It was that 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 clay being shaped in that form with this particular flaw was unworkable. That if it were to be anything at all, what would be required is for the potter to start, start over with this piece of clay. And we see the potter is willing to do that. The flaw is in the clay, not in the potter's skill. The potter's skill is shown that he can take that piece of clay that is marred and remake it. He sees the fatal flaw. He sees the imperfection, the significant imperfection that would have ruined the use of that clay. And skillfully is able to take it and reshape it. As the word says at the end of verse 4, shaping it as seemed best to him. Now obviously the parable is that the potter is God. We read that, right? And the piece of clay is God's people. Interestingly, to shape something is the same root word used to talk about creation. The root word for potter specifically means to shape or form or fashion. And that's the same word used extensively to talk about God's work in shaping, forming, fashioning the world. So the picture is clear, right? The potter is God. The clay is Israel. And what is the message? The message to them is this. Can I not do with you, verse 6, Israel? Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hands of the potter, so are you in my hands, Israel. When we read that, I want you to think with me. What if you were that clay on that wheel? We can read about Israel or Judah. We can see what they're going through. We can see their experiences. We can see the outcome, and it's not pretty. But what if you were the clay on that wheel? What if God were shaping and forming you as he saw best? What significant flaws might he see in you that he wishes to work out in your life? In what ways do you need to be remade by God? I think this is an important question for us to ask at least ever so often, to stand honestly before God and say, God, what flaws are in me? I, the clay, am at fault, but what flaws do you, my creator, my shaper, my potter, what flaws in me do you want to work out? Now, God's people, Judah, heard that message, and do you know what their response is? Look with me in verse 12. It's not promising. (laughs) Their response is not promising at all. Verse 12 of chapter 18 of Jeremiah. God prophesies through Jeremiah that they will reply, it's no use. Hopeless. We will continue with our own plans. We will follow the stubbornness of our own evil hearts. Hard-heartedness. The two things that stand in the way 
of Judah being used by God, shaped and formed, worked out the Mars in their life are twofold. One, they felt it was hopeless that any change could occur. And two, they were hard-hearted towards God. And I find that can be the same for us. That if there's something God wants to work out of our life, it's not going to happen if we are hopeless that God can do it. And if we are hard-hearted towards God in the first place. But here's what we can take from this whole portion of scripture is that anything is possible so long as we are pliable. If I were writing notes, that would be something I write down because that's going to help lead us into the next few minutes together. Anything is possible so long as we are pliable. Anything is possible encourages us to remain hopeful. Look with me again at verse 6. Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hands of the potter, so are you in my hands, Israel. What is he saying? He's saying the possibility for change is there because I am willing to help you. I, the potter, am willing to shape and form you. So there is hope. There is a reason for them to hope. Even though they felt it was hopeless, what's the use? Verse 12, God says, with me, there is hope. Now, there's a story in the New Testament where Jesus is approached by what we often call the rich young ruler. This takes place in Matthew 19. And in this story, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? Now, I don't know about you, but I think that is one of the greatest questions anyone could ask. Life here is very temporary. 50, 60, 80, 100 years on this planet is nothing in light of eternity. So how do I inherit eternal life has got to be the, if not one of the most important questions any human could ever ask. And Jesus says to him, follow the commandments. And the guy says, well, yeah, I did that. And Jesus, as he often does, he knows our hearts, he knows our thoughts. He can perceive what's going on inside of this rich young ruler. And he says to him in verse 21, If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now what he's not saying is earn your salvation by selling your stuff and giving it away. What he's saying is there's something stands in the way of your salvation. You have let money become an idol to your heart, and you are worshiping your wealth. If you will stop worshiping your wealth and come follow me, then heaven is yours. It's still a faith transaction. It is not earned by effort. It is a faith transaction. It is calling this rich young ruler away from worshiping his wealth into worshiping God the Father through God the Son. We continue in the story. We find out this guy, he heard what Jesus was saying and he went away sorrowful. Verse 22 of Matthew 19 says, For he had great possessions. Now at this point, it becomes, a learn, it becomes a, you know, like an object lesson with his disciples. He's going to take what happens with this rich young ruler, and he's going to teach his disciples about what's taking place. So in verse 23, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, Assuredly, I say to you that this is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. What is he saying? He's saying it's going to be hard if your hands are full of your stuff and you don't want to let go of it. It's impossible then to embrace God. Now, his disciples heard what Jesus was saying. And the word of God says in the middle of verse 25, they are greatly astonished. They are shocked, surprised, in wonder, confused. You're saying that you can't worship wealth and have eternal life? That's, that's what you're saying? They say then, who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are Fill in the blank. Let's try it again. With men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are. Oh, man, that sounded good. That was very, very nice. Yeah. So, so you can insert anything in the place of wealth. It doesn't have to be wealth. For this guy, it was wealth. For us, it could be a number of things that we worship instead of God. And when we have our eyes so fixed on those other things... It becomes impossible for us to change. But if we are willing to take our eyes off of that, for the folks in Jeremiah's day to take their eyes off of particularly the worship of idols, put our eyes on God, then it becomes possible. One of the things that happens that seems to be taking place in the hearts of the folks in Jeremiah's day is that when God says, I see a flaw in the clay, I want to work it out. When God makes it very evident to us that there's something in our life that needs to change, and we say, ah, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't, I don't think I can change. I don't think God can work that out. I don't think that mar can be temporary. I think it's permanent. I don't, I don't think that God is able to save. But that's not the case. God is able to save. God is able to save us, not just from sin and hell. If he can do that, can he not save us from anything? If God can find a way to deal with our sin... Uh, if he can find a way to, to change our eternal destination from hell to heaven, if he can figure that stuff out, can he not work with us to bring about the change in our lives that he wants? Can he not work out of us the marred parts? Can he not, can he not take and, and shape and form us into what he sees best? I believe he can. And so the word of God says that when we embrace Christ, we are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So the first thing that I think we learn from these folks is that with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. If anything, any change God wants to bring about is possible, so long as we are pliable. And that gets us to the second part. The second thing we learn from these folks is the danger of not being pliable. When you get that clay, you got to add water to it, make it kind of mushy. Make it, make it so, so that you can work with it, right? Just enough moisture that you can put it on that wheel and begin to shape and form it. Again, I've never done this. I watched some videos. 
I've seen my kids make a mess with it. But I will tell you, it looks, looks like it's possible if the clay is pliable, if it can be worked. But unlike actual clay, we, you and me, we can choose to not be pliable. That's what they're saying at the second half of verse 12 of Jeremiah 18. We will continue with our own plans. We will follow the stubbornness of our evil hearts. What's interesting is the word evil is the same word later on that we'll read destruction, raw. We will follow our hearts even as it leads to destruction. They're no longer pliable before God. So they cannot be reshaped or changed. They become like a pot that has a major flaw that has been dried out and now it is brittle. And what will God do with a brittle pot that is flawed, that is useless, that is damaged to the point of of no, not being able to be fixed. What will God do with that? And we read what God will do with that. Just the very next chapter over in verse 19, in verse 10, God calls Jeremiah back to a potter's house to buy a pot, to smash in front of God's people to say, this is what's coming your way. You are going to be like this pot that has been thrown on the ground and destroyed, and there is no repairing it. This is your future. Why? Because they were not soft and pliable towards God, but they were hardened towards God. God gives Jeremiah this illustration back in chapter 18. He says, I am sovereign. In verse 7, he says, If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, or destroyed, and if that nation, I warn, repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm pliable towards you. I'm flexible with you. What I've predicted as your destruction doesn't have to take place. As long as you are pliable, as long as you are willing to change, as long as you are soft towards me, then the destruction I predicted will not take place. I think this is a a good, an important warning to us that we not only have to believe that the change God wishes to make in our life is possible, but we have to remain soft or pliable towards God. And I want to just take a minute and talk about what is that pathway to a hard heart. Not to recount how Israel got here. It feels like we've done that many times with our idol worship, wanting to be like the rest of the world around them, wanting to manipulate God, so on and so forth. Not so much that, but let's think about for ourselves. Maybe when we began this message together, God had already put on your heart, yep, there, I got you on the wheel, I have found a flaw, and I want to work it out, and you know what it is. You're already aware. God's already brought it to your mind. 
Hopefully you have seen that if God can save you from your sin, he can most definitely help you change in that place in which God wants to help you change, that it is possible. But I'll be honest with you, it's also very possible you walk out of here and nothing happens. You believe God can do it, but the truth is your heart's not all that soft towards God. It's the pliability that's the issue. How do we get there? How do we get to the point where our heart is no longer soft towards God? Soft that he could change us. Even if we believe it's possible, our hearts make it unlikely because they are hardening. What is the pathway to a heart, a hard heart? Now let me, let me just be honest. Almost everything I've written down here, personal experience. All right? So... I'm hoping this will connect with you, but just know I'm not saying these things to try to uh, step on your toes as much as to say, this has been my experience, maybe it's yours too. The pathway to a hard heart in my experience is often it begins with a lack of commitment to read the word of God. I stop engaging God at the level of reading scripture on a regular basis. It's actually one of the reasons we started this whole Bible reading thing. Because studies, literal studies show that if you're engaging in Bible reading at least four times a week, your heart doesn't become hardened. You stop sharing your heart with God in prayer. Sure, you pray for other people. You pray for the right things. You may even pray, pray prayers of, of repentance. God, I'm sorry I did that. Moving on. Next thing. Next thing on the list. You stop actually sharing your heart with God. I remember I was talking to a friend in ministry one time who was sharing really hard stuff with me. And I just asked him, I said, have you talked to God about that? And there was this long pause. How did I know to ask him that question? Because I'd done that same thing. I've complained to other people about the hardness of life. And then God will hit me upside the head. You haven't even talked to me about this. What's going on? We stop engaging in God's word and we stop sharing our hearts with God. Share your heart with God. Third thing is that we we stop feeling the sting of sin. We sin and we don't feel the grip of it. We don't feel the pain of it. Yeah, I, I gossip. I don't say things that are always true. You know, I, yeah, this and that. It's not, come on, everybody lusts. No big deal. We stop feeling the sting of sin. And what happens when we stop feeling the sting of sin, we quit running to God to be reminded of the forgiveness we have in Jesus. And so you know what else happens? We stop experiencing the sweet release of repentance. I don't feel the pain of my sin, so I don't go to God to experience His grace. And so my heart becomes even more hard. Often when this takes place, when someone is maybe overwhelmed with sin, distracted with life, they stop honoring God with, with worshiping Him with their church family. Now, I have wanted to not show up sometimes on Sunday, to be honest with you. But i got to be here. Y'all aren't in that same boat. You can choose not to be here. And I'm just telling you, here's the warning. When you choose consistently not to worship with your church family, It is a small piece of a hardening of your heart. It's not going to happen right away. 
But over time, just a little bit harder. And what happens often is when you stop gathering to worship consistently with your church family, you begin to see true Christian fellowship as optional. So many good things are happening in Christian fellowship. In our church, small groups, Bible study is a big part of that. You're sharing your life with one another. You're studying God's word together. You're sharing prayer requests together. You're learning from others on how they dealt with that struggle. Or you're empathizing with others. Or you're sharing what God has taught you. That true Christian fellowship helps keep your heart soft towards God. If you stop showing up, where's that going to take place? Much less the worship service, small group. And finally, often enough, we don't prioritize God with our time or our money. Our time with God is gone, and then we, we don't give. We don't, we, don't th- we don't think through what it means to give to the Lord a portion of what He has given us. No one of these things is necessarily the sign that your heart is hardened. You miss your Bible reading tomorrow, the world's not going to fall apart. But if you keep going, this is a pathway to a hard heart, okay? If you keep going down these trails then your heart becomes more and more hardened. Our lives might be very full, but it won't be full of God. We'll be like the people of Judah. The good news is that God is a God of second chances. That's, that's at, at, at the heart of this, this living parable of the potter's house, is that good news. You may be all the way down that path of a hard heart. But let me tell you, one prayer that God would soften you gets you going down the right path. God is a God of second chances. God says, I find a flaw in you and I cannot do what I wished I could do. But you know what? I can rework this. I can take that that misshapen piece of, of clay and I can reshape it. I can make it into something that's pleasing to me. God is willing to do that, so it is possible. So long as we desire to be pliable. And the warning from God is that, however, however God is a God of second chances, there will be a day that comes where there are no more chances. It's hard to say that. I don't like saying that. I like to be upbeat. You know what I mean? But I'll be honest with you. This section of Jeremiah, it doesn't end upbeat. It ends up God saying, I knew they weren't going to change. Therefore, I have to punish them. How much I would, oh, if I could just beg you out of hard-heartedness and lack of faith that things are possible. If I could just, if I could do that, I would. But all I can really do is perhaps warn that like Judah, God gives second chances, but at some point, those second chances run out. And we don't know when that will happen. We don't know when our hearts might become so hard towards God that we never desire to be pliable again. And that's how we live the rest of our life. We don't know when our lives will be over. There is, there is no telling. And I don't know that it would matter if we did. Judah knew. 
they knew what was coming. They knew Babylon, the Babylonians were coming to destroy them. And they wouldn't hear the warning. But for you, would you hear the warning? Would you hear the warning of God today? That God is a God of second chances. He is a God of possibilities. He is a God that can change you if you are pliable towards him. And God speaks to you on that. And you open your heart to him. The change he wishes to bring will come. Let's pray. Father God, I don't think any of us here want to come to the end and realize how little hope we had in you for change. To realize how hard our hearts have become. That we were unwilling to be reshaped. So God, I pray that we would hear your word today. And the changes you have laid on our hearts. God, we would see that you can bring about those changes. You can reshape us. And God, that even if our hearts are beginning to be hardened, that if we ask you to soften us, I believe you will. Father, I just pray that you take today's word, work it into our lives. Help us to see that with you all things are possible as long as we remain pliable. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. For our invitation today, you've heard God's word. Perhaps God has put on your mind something that he wants you to pay attention to, some changes that he wants to bring about. And as I said earlier, one of the pathways to a hardened heart is that we stop sharing our hearts with God. And I just want to encourage you, let this invitation be a moment where you can share your heart with God, where you can tell Him genuinely what's going on. And be open to Him sharing with you what He wants to do in your life. And if you need prayer, I'll be down front. I would love to pray with you, pray with those around you. Pray quietly in the pew. Whatever the Lord leads you to do, let's respond to him now in prayer. Would you stand with me as we take this time of invitation and sing together?